Good afternoon. It is 2 p.m. Saturday, November the 10th, and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment. And I want to thank you for joining me. My name is Leon Davis. And one of the uh, issues that for me is important is education. And I wanted to cover that this week. And I found, I think, uh, the perfect guy to help me cover that. Um, we actually were uh, classmates in college and we pledged uh, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity together. So I'd like to welcome my brother, um, Michael Ferrer. You there, Mike? Yes, I am. H- Hello, Leon. How are you? I'm doing fine. And thank you very much for joining me today. I really do appreciate you taking this time to talk to me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, so as I mentioned, so so let me uh, uh, just mention a little bit about um, my introduction into um, Alpha Phi Alpha. So I, I hit the campus, of course, um, I'm a freshman, I'm green meat, and um, so all of the fraternities are having their uh, rushes or their smokers. And the Alphas were the only chapter on the campus where everybody showed up in a jacket and a tie. And I thought that was for me. That's that's who I represent. That's what I want to do. I for me, a suit always um, was trying to reach for the best in us, and I, I think that that a suit reflected that. And so that was my reason for getting involved. And um, Michael helped pledge me, and uh, so we won't go into all of that, but. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, so tell me a little bit about your um, uh, career in education. So basically, I, I uh, as Leon said, we all arrived on campus. I, I was a year ahead of Leon in uh, coming to then Northeast Missouri State University and some of just the background of the university, which I don't think you, you understand until you get there was that the university was founded on some of the premises of for formulating uh, people to go into the field of education. Uh, and thus, um, my introduction to, to, to the university started with my high school football coach and several of my classmates that ended up venturing on to the university ahead of me. And then when, uh, you know, the aspiration of going there first to play football and then also for some of the service type of oriented programs that they started. So once I got on campus, uh, decided after finding out that they didn't have some of the programs that I was interested in, decided on the field of education, which at that time didn't know the historical precepts of what the university was founded on and and basically how how far stretched the educational field was touched uh, in, in, uh, through that university. But after graduating and then starting in the field, uh, I've been in education for over 35 years, uh, now uh, started in Kansas City School District and then uh, moved here when my wife and I got married and then uh, with the hopes of being a part of the uh, desegregation program uh, of St. Louis between St. Louis and St. Louis County. And then, uh, after a couple of years and, and with some other school districts, my, my school year tenures here in, in St. Louis have been, uh, uh, the Jennings school district, which has been the longest tender, uh, also, uh, spent some time at the St. Louis job Corps center, um, Afton school district, which I was the first classroom 
actual classroom teacher at the high school. Uh, and it was part of, of getting there through the desegregation program because they were looking to desegregate their instructional population at the time. But that was after being here three years um, and left Afton to return to the Jennings School District as a school administrator uh, because of their need to have for African-American administrators in the district. So I was the second Afro, uh, African-American uh, administrator at the high school at Jennings High, and I ended up staying at Jennings High School uh, until a uh, retirement in 2013. Um, since then, I worked at Missouri Baptist University as an adjunct professor, and then after a year away, I had an opportunity to come back into education on the front lines uh, as and now serve as an assistant principal in the St. Louis uh, public school system. Very good. Uh, so you've got a, a very varied background in education. So you probably definitely uh, have got some flavor of um, how things are going in the educational system. Uh, me as a from the outside, I, I see a, I, I don't have any children in school, so I don't have that personal relationship um, with classrooms and that kind of stuff. I, although I have recently um, signed on to be a uh, mentor and, uh, that, that looks like it's, so let me start with that. Um, so we, I signed on to be a mentor and uh, that's through the uh, boys and girls club here of St. Louis and of greater St. Louis. And one of the things that, um, su surprised me that caught me off guard was, um, the expectations of the what the boys and girls clubs could bring to, and, and this is, um, I think these are uh, eight and 10 year olds that we're, that we're dealing with, um, okay. how, how they, how they, what their expectations of the relationship that the boys and girls club is going to have with these kids. So it's, it's still more uh, educational rounded rather than, you know, just interpersonal. Okay. So I, I don't know if you had any experience with that or what is the expectation of satellite groups dealing with uh, school-aged kids? I, I think more so than anything, I, I think any, any, any group looking for mentorship, and again, I don't know their mission, but I do know through mentorship programs, through, uh, through, uh, through our own organization, through the desires of working in schools, schools are looking for uh, looking for people who are able to come in and relate to our children to provide a common and stable ground for our children uh, during the course of a school day. And, 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 and maybe if time permitted uh, outside of school, many of our children come from single parent homes. Some of our kids are, are, are in foster care. Some of our kids are in adopted situations where they're staying in group homes and things of that nature. And so thus, um, everyone, no matter what organization it is, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club, which I actually had a great experience with right out of college and worked uh, while I was still in Kansas City for the John Thornberry Boys and Girls Club in Kansas City. And I will tell you that 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 kids are looking for adult figures and someone to to look up to. So 
mentorship and and being a part of those programs with their expectations with their requirements are they're looking for somebody that can give uh, a helping hand a word of advice a word of encouragement uh, to young people to help guide and direct them in the in the best possible situation that they can be in daily or you know it can only if, if it's only a one time a week if it's one time a month then, then kids start seeing positive role models in their lives that can that can share with them, that can help them through situations. So, your opportunity to work with the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Can of Greater St. Louis is going to be outstanding. Uh, but but all organizations, and there are a load of them who are seeking mentors to come into schools during the school day, uh, after school programs, weekend programs. Uh, to work with kids. So, um, um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, so I, I hear a lot about, well, let me go, go, go this route. Um, over the past year, education has been probably in the top two or three um, political subjects as uh, schools in, I think it was uh, Arizona, Colorado, and North Carolina, where the teachers uh, went on strike. And um, so, so I, I hear a lot about, um, the working conditions. So, so give me a little better sense of what you're experiencing as far as the working conditions for teachers here in the St. Louis area. Working conditions, you know, I mean, I guess this issue of what educators and education for years and I once heard this through through one of my college professors at Amsa when I was getting my uh, administrative certification a lot of times educators unless you're in a union unless you're representing or you're on the political side you know professor told us that that educators are apolitical in other words they they kind of stay out of the fray uh, the problem is, is that those there are there are rough passages, and, and what people don't understand is we're still working into some type of degree a, a system of development that has been used, and that model probably can date back to 100 to 150 years ago, and and I say that to say that some of the things that were done to children in schools, parents supported. Uh, with legalization or or taking out, uh, and I'm not a fan of it and never have been, corporal punishments in schools, some of the things that you can do. But then you could also, um, you can separate people back in, in the 1800s, early 1900s, and, and prior to the Civil Rights Movement, you, you could separate kids and limit families and students to the educational opportunity. And, and because of those non-limitations anymore, what, what tends to happen is you're still modeling under that, expecting that kids are going to come and everybody is going to be in, a, in, in the same type of parent-rearing environment and they're going to have all the things that they need, all the tools that kids are going to come to school ready to learn. And, and, and for, for inner city schools like us, or any any school, any urban school, any student that has who has a population that is that is not or is below the poverty scale or at the poverty level or right above the poverty level, is that you're gonna have challenges with those children, with those families. Uh, 
And so those structures are not there. Everybody's not going to come in, at, at age five and the kid can read and the kid is at the kid is at first or second grade level or on grade level from the first time they touch a book in the kindergarten and then travel uh, all 13 years because that's what it takes to get out of high school counting kindergarten that you're in school for 13 years. And so for 13 years, you're going to be at or above grade level reading expectations in which schools are placed under you're going to perform at or above the averages on on state assessments and all of those things and Missouri has one of the most difficult state assessments of anybody in the country and so the misnomer is that everybody is coming to school ready nobody has the social issues of homelessness nobody has the social issues of of abuse and those stories don't get told uh and so when those stories don't get told, you hear the horror stories about how some kids are out of control. And there are some kids that are challenging and some kids that have issues and some kids. And remember, I'm saying this right here, and this is what we all we must always remember is that kids, they are children, kids as early as five, all the way to 18 years of age. They're still kids. They're still children. And so when they make those mistakes based on their their backgrounds and what they see outside their homes, then it becomes a challenge. And so when we don't put programs in the schools and, and, and yes, you have the terms, you have the phrases that, that education has come up with. Some of them are the same phrases that they're different names for the different, for some formats and some formats are very innovative that will work in schools. But if everybody in those schools don't have those same formats, and have that same background of preparedness, there is going to be a challenge. And so with that challenge comes with that myth that every school is out of control, everybody is out of disorder, uh, and things like that. And the same way with movement, because those people who have a little more and who are able to be mobile can move into other affluent areas where they can get additional support the kids that are doing well who may start in in schools and i had this even when i was at jenny's and i see it now when i'm while i'm in st louis public some of the better performing schools at, at at elementary and middle school level in these school districts or in these urban school districts the family stay well then the family through to through to job promotions or whatever may move to another district and then and then they get to choose where they want to go or you have the private school situations where private schools, because they want a kid, not only because he, he or she is academically strong or is at or above grade level, but the kid possesses something else. And that physical gift that that kid passes or possesses at an early age can get that kid to, to one of the private schools. And so you start seeing the successes of private schools uh, here in St. Louis, at your Dismet, at your um, at your Lutheran North, uh, at your uh, Westminster's, and all those schools where students of color, uh, MICDS, where students of color are coming to those schools, they're coming to those schools, so they're benefiting that format. And so, but still, although that format, even to a certain degree, is still the same format that that um, is in public schools. That format is enriched because you have people who are academically ready. So, sorry for taking so long. 
No, no. I, I much prefer you to be thorough and and um, you know make your point um, because uh, if if we're giving information and it's incomplete information, then people really aren't you know better armed uh, with the information. So you know you know make sure that uh, that um, you know you give the, the explanation as you feel it's necessary to have. Um, so so one of the things that questions that come up immediately when you start talking about uh, some of the, the different types of school environments were um, charter schools and um, uh, what are some of the other ones? But but uh, these other school t- type schools, actually, don't they get to kind of pick and choose over the students that they want to take and they don't have to take um, some of the more challenging cases? That's true. You know, private schools, you're paying. Private schools who have kids who are outstanding athletes, you know, those parents are paying that reduced rate. So it's just like you're almost putting a kid in a college situation in, in as early as middle to, to high school. Um, and but, but you make that promise. That parent makes that promise and that commitment to, uh, to come out and to work and to volunteer and things to offset the price. But if they want that child bad enough, they may put that child on a full ride scholarship to get because see they're going to win because then their other their other programs are going to be successful so then they can boast to bring in more income through alumni through uh, through corporations and partnerships that they may have that they don't publicize that we don't know about that the average individual doesn't know about but but when you when you have affluent and well-known alumni who will come back and who will drop hundreds and thousands of dollars and maybe millions of dollars onto onto a a into a fund uh and things like that and so when you you know public schools some public schools have those endowed funds other public schools and depending on where they are across the country where they are if they're here in the metropolitan area as well they may not have that base uh, and so that's where that's where private schools gain on us. Charter schools the same way. But see, charter schools aren't losing because the money, the money from the state of Missouri for any child that goes to charter schools is is travels. In other words, if if I live, if I'm a St. Louis public school resident and my child decides to go to a charter school, then essence what 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 St. Louis public who who that initial funds will go to for the state of Missouri, then those funds for my children will then be sent to the charter school in which they attend. And so that lends to the discussion on school on on school voucher system. And those people who are who are proponent who are for the school voucher system. One of the things that the school voucher system then allows is that same tax money. And this is where one of the fight is against the voucher program. If voucher programs are allowed, then then families of of kids who live in urban or city areas or in other districts then will take that money and let and let's say they want to go to a private school no matter where it is in the state. So or in this or in the metropolitan area. And when you look at the private schools in our area, if 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 I live, for example, I live in Jennings 
And in Jennings, I decide in Jennings that I want my children to go to MICDS and I can, can get a voucher then my voucher will then be sent out of the monies that would be allocated for students to go to Jennings. That money for every kid, if they are approved, if they ever approve vouchers, will be sent to MICDS for every kid that lives in Jennings that goes there. So then that subsidizes why, why they're saying that will eliminate some cost. That will eliminate some cost for a parent that have to pay for my for that child to go to MICDS. It may not eliminate all of the costs. And then so then where is the rest of that money going to come from for, for that child to go to MICDS? And that may, that money may come in the form of scholarship. That money may and again that that scholarship may include as a parent, I may have to come out there and volunteer every weekend or or three weekends or four weekends out of the year at a concession stand or at a, at a play, whatever, what that school has to offer. And so when you, when you get into talking about monies and, and why people are going to, uh, you know, charter schools, again, what people don't say, and, and, and I'm not saying that charter schools aren't, aren't working because they are, because in some cases, what I, what I do know and what I've experienced when charter schools first started opening up in this area, charter schools were accepting some of the, some they do accept the best and they can cream, just like private schools, they can select. But in some cases, charter schools were also given an opportunity for some kids, for kids who were not being successful in, in, in public school settings. And so it, 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 it was providing, or it does to a certain degree at times for those children, it provides that nourishing environment and, and, and it may provide an opportunity that they would not get a part of if they were in a larger school system, larger public school system. They may be on the backside where they can come to the forefront in a charter school. So educational opportunities for all or for the better. It's just that how how can they best work is, is what the key. And that's what I think that's sometimes what we fail to look at and have those discussions amongst those particular entities. Okay. So you don't think that, so, so your concern is that uh, currently when we talk about education, we're not talking about the right subjects, just talking about um, um, a part of the issue that, is either going to support the ideology that we have or not. True. I, I think that that is, that is true. And what, what hits, what hits the news media is that the, the right, you know, what was focused on, on the news media is, is all of the negatives that, that, that occur. They'll report an incident that occurs in a school building or in a respective school district more than what they will report the the positive things uh such as uh, one of the initiatives in, in st louis public is now focusing on reading again and a heavy emphasis on reading and we all know that if you cannot read you're not going to be successful the better you can read and everybody may never read at grade level or above but the more you can comprehend so that you can learn how to break down what you have to read to do things uh, the better off we're going to be. So 
uh, you know, those schools that have reading initiative programs, um, book, you know, if, if, if you have a, for the year and there are a lot of schools as, and, and what I've experienced this year for the second year as a middle school administrator is that, uh, school I'm at currently has, a has a book of the month in which we are encouraging students to read a book of the month. Okay. And if you read that book of the month, then you'll get, you'll be recognized for reading that book of the month. Okay. And so by doing that, in essence, what we're doing is we're working to sustain long passages of reading so that when our kids prepare and get in high school, that they will read what they need to read. And then ultimately, when it comes time to sit down and take the state exams, elementary, middle school, high school, and also the national exams, that our kids, our kids will be able to sit and do that reading. Now it's on the computer for ACT and SAT when it used to be in books. Um, and, and I give the example to this when I talk about reading sustainability with my own, with, with my oldest son. When my oldest son was a sophomore in high school, he took the plan test, which is for ACT. Now growing up, my wife and I, we, we read to our boys and we always read to our boys every night before they went to bed. And we, we did this up until, up until probably until uh, just reading to them, probably until about the second grade to about the second grade. And then from then on, they always had something they had to read for school. But, but we read to our boys and our boys were, 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 were readers. My youngest boy read before he completed kindergarten. Um, my, my oldest boy was reading before, uh, actually my youngest son was reading before he started kindergarten. My, my oldest boy was reading, uh, by the time he, he was reading on his own, by the time he was, he had finished kindergarten. And so when, when, when you don't have, when you don't have fam, when you don't have that type of support, in homes and people can't take that time or don't take that time or have the abilities to do that, uh, then it, it, you know, are, are we best preparing a kid? Right. It handicaps the child. Right. And so when, when you can't do that, when that, that one thing, because I go back to my story and I'll finish. So my son goes to take the, um, the test and he says and he's playing football at the time so he said dad i just want you to know i fell asleep at the end of the test so i didn't finish okay okay well when my when my son's preliminary score came back it was a 25 okay Okay. So it was projecting that after 25 i think what the national average is like 36 or something like that Okay. So I say that to say reading sustainability is, is of the utmost importance that our kids can sit down and when it comes time to sit down and perform on standardized testing, which that's what they're going to be measured on, or reading to make sure that you have all the details on the test to get the best grade you can in school, uh, that you can make sure you fill out a job application correctly, you answer all the questions concerning whether or not you're going to get a job or not. If people can't do that, then then that's what hampers our students. But see, we don't have those discussions because if we were truly if we if we truly did, 
then we would even look to being out of the box of just worrying about what kids and how we're getting through textbooks and creating a creative and informant where we can get to some of the more challenging issues even during the course of every day in school. But you only have six and a half hours to do that. Okay. Um, so one of the one of the questions I wanted to, to get to, because uh, we're we got only got a couple of minutes here. Um, so you had mentioned earlier about uh, how school was before, and then that um, so that we've eliminated corporal punishment from the classrooms, um, and um, with more people having to work, less uh, children have less home supervision, and so when they arrive at school. Um, they're, they're learning social behavior basically in the classroom. So that puts an additional challenge on you, the, the administrator and the teachers to try to help supplement that lack, um, in the classroom. H how do you deal with that? And, and what are some of the prickly challenges of making that kid successful? Well, the the ultimate um, it, it's it's a challenge. You try to create routines for them every day, and you you try to to provide experiences where they can grow from. Uh, but it's 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 a limitation. And I'm not saying I mean, you mentioned corporal punishment and and those types of things. You, you don't you you have to do things without punishing kids. Uh, in that type of manner, physical manner and things of that sort. So, you know, well, you're not punishment. I'm sorry. You're not legally allowed to do that anymore. Are you right? That's correct. Okay. But, but, but you just have to provide structure. You have to provide guidance. You have to, you can teachers, teachers are, are like mentors, but, but the issue is that you have to, what's what we, where we're going to have to go in the future is that we're going to have to look to the possibility of, restructuring how do, how can you look to the instructional day because again you only have six and a half hours and if you if you're working in a school district that 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 transports our children in which our kids may be on a bus uh for 30 to 45 minutes in the morning and for example my school is a first tier school in, in St. Louis Public, you have Tier 1 and Tier 2 and possibly Tier 3 schools. So Tier 1 school starts the school day starts at 710 to 725 in the morning. A Tier school, Tier 2 might be 8 o'clock. A Tier 3, which is predominantly mostly elementary schools, will, will, uh, will start at 9. So you, you, you have those different time frames of where those tiers start. But then to starting those tiers, that's also another hour on each end getting the kid to and from school as well. So unlike where you had more neighborhood schools back in the day um, where kids were walking and they didn't walk that far to get to school, uh, now it's, it's, it's combated with, 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 uh, with daily transportation issues. But again, it, it, it's, it's, it's the challenge. I don't have the answer. The challenge is how do you make adaptations to try to get get everyone involved? You know, uh, you have some interesting points out in, in, in the St. Charles School District who at elementary school, you go to you go to year round schools. 
But when they call it year round, it really is not. It's like a quarterly type of thing. They're in schools, but then they have an issue out there because whereas the traditional schools break it at Christmas and, and the summer, their, their quarter break may be uh, in March or April or February where everybody else is still in school. So those parents are scuffling and you would have to have somebody that that's in one of those type of schools. System. But again, where are you going to give the teachers break? If you go to a year round school system in, in, in all schools, you have teachers who are going back to school to, to reinvent or to enforce their craft. Where do they have the educational time to do that? Where sometimes summers allow that to happen. Um, you know, uh, and so when you don't have, you know, uh, now you get that in elementary schools and in middle schools with the summer school programs and, and mandatory summer school, even if a kid comes to mandatory summer school, uh, if that same teacher is not, is not that teacher teaching them or you really don't teach to their, 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 their lack of skill set, uh, then schools then tend to become a babysitting service, uh, so it's this it's ultimate challenge. There's no right answer. It's just that it just needs to be constant discussion, looking to how how we can, as educators, as community leaders, uh, not take away some of the finger pointing and saying the schools because they talk about this school. And I'm not an expert when they talk about this prison for pipeline uh, to schools. And you blame schools for for uh, the reason that young people are making poor choices and ending up in, in prison. But when the kids that are doing this don't don't aren't don't have the, the ability or the guidance to come to to prepare themselves for what the expectations of schools offer or what you're going to need to do to be successful, um, then then schools get the blame. And, and we don't want to talk about that. I understand. So I'm going to ask one last question and then I'm going to let you go. Um, so you've mentioned at the start of the program, you mentioned the, the different types of schools, private schools, uh, charter schools, et cetera, and the voucher programs. And so there seems to be a lot of experimenting going on with um, trying to find something, some successful formula to educate. And is there how to how do we capture best practices? How do we implement, you know, uh, something across the school system? Are we is, uh, implement something across the school system that's going to work? So, so it's I guess it's kind of a two part question. One is how are we capturing uh, what what's working, and is is there going to be one solution that we can implement? that's uh, system-wide that's going to be beneficial? Um, I think there are schools, and you can look at the track records based on, if you want to look at the data, the data shows you that there are schools out there that are successful and that what programs and systems that they have put in place um, are working. You know, you, you have you have kids in every school system and you have those that are successful later in life that no matter what school they go to, they may be successful. You have kids that that will go if you go to a better school that has everything. 
uh, it only increases your opportunities to be exposed. You, you get exposed to not only the curriculums and, and stuff, you get exposed to the activities, you get exposed to the extracurricular activities, you get exposed to people. And so when you when you don't when you, when you're in a lesser school district that even in the summertime years ago, summer youth employment programs used to be rampant, and thus the kids that were in the inner cities and in those urban areas and in that urban corridor like where we come from, we had an opportunity to get a job in the summer, and so our kids today don't have those opportunities because those companies are not opening their doors. And, and, and paying that because with what you get early, you continue to, to, to profit from that. You continue to know that if I do better, I may be able to make more money. Uh, and you said your, your second question was what, what the schools, what, what was your second part to your question? Second part of the question was um, how are they capturing best practices and then implementing that uh, um, in these schools? Again, you look to the data, but what needs to happen, and again, is what we may not have known about this when we were younger, but is the growing disparity to the myth that edu educators aren't worth the dollars and cents that you pay them. And so I, I even remember my favorite teacher in high school when I went back and I told her I was going to become an educator, her first statement was for me. Um, why do you want to be a teacher? You're not going to make no money. And so, you know, I, I, I thought about that. And again, when you look at the, 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 the issue, one of the issues is that we have to take that issue away. We have to make educational programs. We have to pay kids. We have to pay kids to be internships, just like you can get for uh, engineers or any other areas that you can, that are paid internships. Student teachers need to be paid. You need to increase those salaries that those salaries are the same as, you know, that, that you're starting at a 40, 50, 60 year thousand dollar position. And it could be based on what you teach. We have ultimate shortages, uh, you know, you have schools that don't have art teachers. You have schools that don't have vocal music teachers. You don't have marching bands or not like they used to be. There's all there's a shortage in math and science teachers across the country. And then that that there if, if if you were not in that crowd, you may not have known that because at your school that you went to when you were in elementary school or when you were in middle school and when you were in high school, there always was a certified teacher. And, and so we have to do something nationally that will that will promote people to still want to be educators, to become educators, and to pay them to a point where they are valued. Because many teachers, regardless of whether you teach at MICDS or whether you teach at at in St. Louis Public, uh, or whether you teach at the highest paying school district in in the state of Missouri there are children that will leave that instruction and will go on and become multimillionaires. And so they will make tens of thousands and maybe millions of dollars more than what that person had taught them. But we need to put our teachers at, at a higher level. We need to provide them with opportunities. We make, we need to make teaching exciting and, and, and make people want to be teachers again.
And I admire those young people today that still want to be teachers for whatever reasons that they desire. It gets them to teach, but it's still not enough. Well, I want to thank you very much, Michael. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. So if you'll give me a minute, I'll be right back. All righty. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. So I want to thank uh, Mike again for having joined me this afternoon. Anyway, uh, that concludes the episode. It is available on uh, YouTube, the video portion of the podcast. Just do a search for Lion's Den STL. Now, the audio podcast is available on Stitcher.com, Anchor.fm, the iTunes Store, and the Google Music Play Store. Please consider supporting this podcast by visiting Anchor.fm slash Altitude. That's Adjustment 2. The internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this video and other episodes where you find them because it matters. As always, be cool, be calm, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you. <laughs>